This morning, we're going to be looking at a passage that if any passage in Scripture was meant for a Hollywood blockbuster, it would be here. I hope it's you'll see that it's a drama that's going to keep you on the edge of your seats. It portrays the mighty victory of an underdog against unbelievable odds with the underdog coming out the winner. If it were made into a movie today, it would probably be called something like the battle of the gods. I've entitled the message, the God who answers by fire. But before we look at the story, I want to kind of set the stage as to what is going on here. The times in Israel were troubled. The worshipers of God were difficult to find. And there was a new religion that had become a fad. The worship of Baal, a fertility cult that the Jews had borrowed from neighboring countries. And if that were not bad enough, the king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, were caught up in this pagan religious practices. But there was a prophet in the land that we have been studying the last few weeks. Elijah, who was a bold and courageous prophet. But above all, we find that Elijah was jealous for the worship of the one true God. He was a faithful prophet who preached the truth regardless of the consequences. And in chapter 17, verse 1, we read, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. And for three, over three years, this drought grips the nation. All Israel is suffering. And then God promises relief. In chapter 18, verse 1, God sends Elijah to meet Ahab a second time. And I can assure you that this was a very tense meeting. Ahab, you see, had blamed Elijah as the one who was responsible for the drought. And so when Ahab saw Elijah, he said, Here you are, you troubler of Israel. But Elijah fired back to Ahab and said, It is not me who troubles Israel. It is you, King Ahab, because you and your house have forsaken the commandments of God. And so out of that meeting, Elijah, um, Ahab calls for a meeting on Mount Carmel. And in this dramatic scene, we have a showdown between 450 prophets of Baal on one side and Elijah alone on the other. And it was a confrontation to see who would be the one true God. But I want to put that part of the story on hold for just a moment. The first thing we want to see is how Elijah addresses the people. See, you have three groups of people there. The the children of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel with their prophets, and Elijah alone. But Elijah first turns and addresses the people. And as a 
dramatic and as alarming as the story that follows it is, it's really only a part of the story. So the story begins with Elijah passionately confronting the people of God with their half-heartedness and their lack of commitment. And so we start reading in verse 20 of 1 Kings chapter 18. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. What Elijah is doing here is challenging the people to make up their minds. The issue was not that they had no knowledge of God or that they had lost all sense of God's call for their nation. But the problem was they were trying to serve two masters. And so he says, how long will you waver? The, the Hebrew word actually means to, to waffle or to limp. So he's saying, how long are you going to just go through limping through life? You're going to have to make up your mind. Who is the real God? Brothers and sisters, lukewarm, half-hearted commitment has always been the scourge of the church. And in Jesus' day, he addressed this very issue with his people. He says, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. He said, whoever is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, he gives these somber words. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out. Of my mouth. I believe that the very first lesson that we learn from this passage is that the biggest challenge that we face in serving God and fulfilling His promise for our lives is not the hostile, unbelieving world, it's our own sense of complacency. And I believe that so many of the anxieties and frustrations. That rob us of the simple Christian life that God has called us to finds its root in trying to live two, two different lives. With one foot in the godless world system and one foot in the kingdom of God. And the lesson we see here, folks, it is impossible for this to happen. It cannot be done. Now, some people might say that this is radical. You know, to many, it's kind of cool to be noncommittal. To sort of leave your, your options open. You know, to not get too extreme about this thing about of religion. But I can assure you the only way that we are going to experience the abundant life that God has given to us is through a wholehearted commitment to Jesus Christ. And I think it's telling here. That verse 21 says that the people answered... Not a word. Filled with guilt and shame. What could they say? But now here the excitement begins. 
The contest on Mount Carmel, we begin reading in verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and I will put it on, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, this is good. And then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bowl given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced all around the altar that they had made. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came to him and they they, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. And with the stones, he built an altar to the name of the Lord. And he dug a trench around it large enough to hold Two seahs of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the bull into pieces. And he laid it on the ground. And he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Then do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. And water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice... The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you are the Lord and the God that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. And burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. And also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. This showdown on Mount Carmel was to determine who is the real God. And in order to bring these lukewarm, half-hearted people back to the true faith of God, Elijah is willing to come to Mount Carmel and face 450 prophets of Baal. And so we have this tremendous gathering. I think we need to stop right here. Because I think there is a very, very invaluable lesson the question that they faced is the same one that we face today the question is who is the real god and there can only be one answer to that question 
And to that question, there can be no compromise. Both of these groups cannot be right. So Elijah doesn't invite the prophets down for some theological discussion to see if they can work out their differences. Now, there is a time often when theological discussion is very helpful to sit down with brothers and sisters in Christ sometimes and discuss our differences. We're not always going to agree on everything. But we don't do that when the glory of God and the character of God is at stake. And this is what is going on here. And there's something else we need to see. You hear many people ask today, aren't all religions the same? I mean, is there really any difference in the major religions? Maybe you've wondered this. When you go and check out religions, there's a lot of options that are out there. Aren't they all basically teaching the same thing? And the answer certainly is no, because even a cursory study of world religions shows that there are vast differences in religions. And anyone who thinks that all religions are teaching the same thing just hasn't read much about world religions. But here's the thing about Christianity, I think, that should grab us. The only reason that we embrace this faith is because we believe it's true. I am not a Christian because it makes me feel good. I am not a Christian because I believe the tenets of our faith fit more into my lifestyle. I'm a Christian because I believe that what we believe is true. And if I didn't believe that, I'd get into some other line of work. Others might say, you know, Stan, if you're, I just believe that if you're sincere in what you believe, isn't that enough just to be sincerely committed to what you, what, what you want and what you believe? Well, I want to call your attention to something here in this passage. See what happens in this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. It says they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as it was their custom until their blood, until the blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And here is the irony. Baal was the sun god. If he could do anything, surely Baal could bring down fire. But you see, the most sincere thing in the world cannot make a false, something false, true. Now, I want to take just a moment to look at this man, Elijah. What was it about this man that was able to make him stand against 450 prophets of Baal with such courage and strength? I believe that this passage, all through this passage, reveals one thing about Elijah, and that he was a man who had a Godward focus. This was the secret of his power. The honor and glory of God was supreme in his life. It wasn't his reputation. It wasn't the success of his ministry. It wasn't his security or his comfort. His Godward focus was the secret of his boldness and his courage. 
And you know, I want to make this as practical as I possibly can. For I realize today that our lives are made up of hundreds of details that take us in different and pull us in different directions. Our schedules are full. We are busy people. But it is to busy people just like us that Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you. Because you see, if our focus is not on Him, if He is not first, then we're going to get lost in the muck and in the mire of the world around us. And we're going to end up serving, trying to serve, two different masters. And this Godward focus that I'm talking about has two very important features. The first feature that I would want to mention is that there is a time in each one of our lives that we are faced with a call that will determine not only the direction of our lives, but our eternal destiny as well. We are confronted with the question, to whom am I going to give my life? What is going to be the supreme focus of my life? It's a question that we all have to answer, and it has eternal consequences. And we call that surrendering to the Lordship of Christ. And if you look at the call of Christ, it is a call that comes to every believer, not just to those who want to excel in the faith, not just to those who want to be super spiritual. But there's a second aspect of this principle of the Godward focus, and it's this. Not only is it a once-for-all decision in life, but it's also a daily choice. And I believe that every day that when we get up, when our feet hit the floor, we are making a decision as to what is going to be the focus and the priority that particular day. And if Elijah teaches us anything, it exemplifies His uncompromising focus on the glory and the honor of God. Now, before we conclude this message today, there's something else that I see here that I think is extremely valuable for us as believers in Jesus Christ to know, understand, and to practice. And I want to explain it. The best way I can say it is that The grace of God in our lives is a mediated grace. What do I mean by that? Well, we have been learning about the invincibility of God's grace in Elijah for the last several weeks. But there's something that about that grace given to him and given to us that is important for us to understand. And it comes out beginning in verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice... The prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Here's the point I'm wanting to make. You see, God could have consumed that sacrifice Without Elijah saying a word. But what did he do? He waited till Elijah prayed. And when Elijah prayed, the miracle happened. 
The fire descended and consumed the bull, the altar, the wood, and the water. And what does this teach us? It teaches us that God communicates His grace to us, not directly, but as an answer to prayer. You know, I have people ask me many, many times, Stan, does God, does prayer really do anything? I mean, doesn't God already know what He's going to do? Why should we pray if God has got this thing all planned? Well, I can tell you this. Our prayers do accomplish something. James said the faithful, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. A grace is mediated through our prayers that arise to the throne of God. And God has chosen in His sovereign plan... To answer those prayers according to his will. Now, in conclusion, brothers and sisters, I want us to know that you and I have a place in this story. There is actually a deeper symbolism here than might be apparent. The gospel is presented here in a most dramatic way. You see, fire is often a symbol of God's wrath and judgment. And this miraculous consuming of the offering points us to another sacrifice, that of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Elijah staged a magnificent showdown with the prophets of Baal. But the greatest showdown of all time was at Calvary where the enemy of God was defeated by the sacrifice of God's own Son. And the Gospel tells us that He became sin for us. And we can take joy in knowing that the wrath of God that fell on Jesus as He was upon the cross will never touch us. We are safe in the arms of Of the God who answers by fire. Join me in prayer. Our Lord, how we thank you that you are the God of the universe. That you have no rival. And that you call us to be the messengers of that truth. To a world that is confused to a world that is half-hearted, and to a world that has lost its way. Lord, seal in our lives today the commitment to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. May there be no question as you look into our hearts that we believe and are committed to you as the God who answers by fire. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.